You're listening to Young Honest Mother, the podcast. Here, we'll chat about all things marriage, motherhood, and modern home economics, in all honesty. I'm your host, Maris Young. Okay, so thank you so much for being on Young Honest Mother, the podcast. Thank you for having me. Yes, of course. So I like to start my conversations with guests by asking a simple but sometimes sort of complex question to answer, and that is, who is Devin? (laughs) I see what you mean. That is simple yet very complex. Um, I would start off by saying that I am a dreamer. I'm an idealist. I'm an optimist. And I am someone who loves to encourage other people to help people shift their point of view, to help people Mm -hmm. discover new parts of themselves. And I am eternally restless. I'm also a mother, a wife, and a life coach, specifically a relationship and eroticism coach. And I've been doing this for almost two years now. I broke away from a job that I really detested, to be quite honest, working in Mm -hmm. a corporate setting. It was a small office and I was a national account manager there. And the position, you know, the company working there for almost six years, I learned so many great lessons while I was there. I learned a lot about leadership. I learned a lot about myself and confidence. And I think that was really where I developed a, a strong sense of confidence in trusting my ideas. And, but while I was there, that was really the, the jumping off place for me to want more for my life and to want a better perspective and a better outlook for how I positioned myself in the world and how I saw other people and how much dysfunction that I saw being face to face with so much distrust within an organization of people where, which really I think is very parallel to our romantic lives and sometimes Mm -hmm. to our friendships and a lot of times to our family relationships where we, we become certain people and we, we develop ourselves in a certain role that can become really hard to break out of once we've Mm -hmm. established that that is who we are and that's how we present ourselves. And that's how people believe that that's all we are. They only start to think of us in this one particular way. And that is transferable to every part of our lives. And Mm. so that's kind of a general summary about me, but um, I do have a small child. I tend to not talk about this child very much because it is a part of my identity, but I really try to keep that um, somewhat privatized just for the child's safety because Mm -hmm. we are on the internet and we, we are putting a lot of our personal life out there. And so I do try to keep as much of that private as I possibly can, but it is a huge part of my journey and where I am today, obviously. And so is my marriage. So. Mm. Mm, Okay. So many juicy things that I want to dive into, but I think where (laughs) I want to start is by asking, once you came into this realization upon, you know, being in this corporate setting for a while and realizing that things just didn't feel right to you, how did you move forward in starting to step away from that paradigm and seek out something that felt to be more in alignment with who you are? Mm-hmm. Great question. It really was a process of getting to a point where I was so unbelievably unhappy that I couldn't bear it any longer. I was mm. so unhappy that I was ready to make drastic changes. And I think that for most people, I think it's very natural for us to decide and choose comfort over the unknown, even if that comfort level is dysfunctional, toxic, 
and detrimental to our health in every possible way that we know. But I decided that I was going to take the next available opportunity for me. But mm-hmm. I had actually started kind of dreaming about what would I want to do? What, if I could do anything in the world, what would it be? And it it was in the avenue right. of um, creativity. It was more about home design. And, but every step that we take along the way from when we're pivoting from one position in our life and one chapter in our life to another, all of those little lily pads matter because Mm -hmm. that lily pad got me to the next lily pad and the next lily pad until I landed on life coaching shortly after that. Luckily for me, it didn't take a lot lot of time to figure out Mm -hmm. that coaching was something that really was in alignment with me. And it was a part of me that I didn't really even know that I had in me, but I had taken one of those Gallup Strengths Finder tests that said, you're a teacher, you're a coach, you're some sort of educator. Um, you also idealize things, which really for someone in those positions, you it's a beneficial skill to have because when you have enthusiasm and optimism for what you're trying to teach and coach people mm-hmm. to do, it allows them to vicariously feel that feeling and that enthusiasm and transfer it onto them. And so- I landed on life coaching and I um, I was in a program with Good Vibe Coaching Academy, which is a law of attraction-based coaching academy with Lisa mm-hmm. and Jeanette. They are amazing. I highly, highly recommend them for anyone who, like me, doesn't like to go with the grain, per se, and you mm-hmm. like to do things sort of in your own way and in your own model. And if you really do believe that your thoughts are things and those things manifest themselves in miraculous ways that we can't always predict mm. and that what that really spoke to me because i there is something about the conventional ways of doing things that i i kind of detest a little bit because i like to see what else is out there okay well people have tried this and that's great it can work for some people but what about the rest of us who really when when we touch upon a good feeling or uh, a good practice or something like an alignment practice, like walking your dogs or mm-hmm. listening to music, dancing to music, going to the gym, that puts us in a good energy space and lifts our mood, those things directly have an impact on our business life and uh, our relationships with other people mm-hmm. compared to if you're slowly doing the grind, the grind, the grind of things that you hate, you hate, you hate but it's the work. You're doing the work. You're doing work. Um, that was a coaching academy that was that really resonated with me because I I felt a connection to modeling things based on it, the individual. And I am of the philosophy that there is no one right way of doing things that people, thankfully, in the West, we do have a lot of freedom to um, move in within the world and within relationships and in our careers and in our family life in more flexible and fluid ways than in different parts of history. Mm-hmm. You're so right. And I agree with what you said about there not being just one right way for people to do things. There are so many different options. And I love hearing that you're someone who likes to explore those options and and kind of figure out what else is out there. Mm -hmm. And so as you started to find coaching and consider that as something that you might like to take on and, and bring that into your life, how did you find relationship and eroticism coaching? Like what led you to that? (laughs) Yeah, I know. It's a it's a funny little niche of coaching. Um I would say that that was really birthed out of my marital troubles. Mm. That was really where I discovered that I had been kind of harboring this secret quiet place 
within myself, which let me just say that by eroticism, luckily we've had we've had great thought leaders like Esther Perel and some others nice. redefine this word eroticism, mm -hmm. which eroticism originally was not just about sexuality. It is a creative life force. It's an energy force mm. that connects us with life and it connects us to our own vitality. And it is beyond just the sexual realm. It What eroticism really means is the connection to everything that is alive, which means to other people. It means connecting to... Um, the birth of a baby. It means connecting mm -hmm. to the way that you feel when you are on stage doing improv comedy or um, that when you feel the most alive, that is when you can feel eroticism in its purest form. And so to me, relationship coaching and eroticism coaching is much more about connecting to the parts of yourself that become alive when you are doing that thing or when you are within a space inside of yourself, whether it's meditating or going for a run mm. or, or if you are being intimate with your partner. And being intimate with your partner is the direct route to feeling alive. And when I was going through different marital challenges, which let me be frank, I like to say that my partner and I are on our third marriage together. Mm -hmm. We never actually technically got divorced, but we're on our third marriage together. So that gives you an idea that we've gone through some pretty dramatic changes in our relationship to get to where we are now. We've been together for 10 years, been married for eight, and it's been a long journey within those first 10 years. But I think often those that first decade of your life uh, with your partner are often the most difficult because you are merging two lives together. And I had to go through, we both had to go through some grueling changes and the merging of two people and the unmerging, the differentiating of ourselves from one another to be able to live sort of parallel lives that also blend together and touch and then go away and then touch and then go away. And that was really the, a, a, that has been a source of inspiration for me in relationship coaching, because I feel even though we've been together 10 years, that might sound like a little bit of time for some people and a lot of time for other people. But I feel that during those 10 years, we underwent so many, many, many difficulties that I see and that I am still learning about with just about every couple that I've ever heard from, mm -hmm. either through talking or through coaching or through talking, reaching out with to strangers on Instagram, reading books. So all of those things have been like little microcosms inside of our relationship that I have sources of, of compassion and empathy that I can pull from when I when I listen to people's concerns and their troubles and being able to reconnect myself to my erotic side and my erotic energy after having a baby was a difficult process. And I didn't know then that that is completely typical. It's completely normal. I didn't know back then, but the first three years after a couple has a child are the most vulnerable years in a couple's life that they're ever really going to go through unless you know we're dealing with 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 something like um cancer or some sort of terminal illness or something like that mm -hmm. aside from those types of health concerns those are really scary and frightening years to undergo that transition into a whole new marriage and a whole new life chapter so that's where my <laughs> where it where it was birthed. Mm, okay. So I would be remiss if I didn't dig into this topic a little bit deeper. So tell me a little bit more about how you were able to reconnect to your erotic side after having a child. Yes, that is a great 
great question. And I will say, first of all, I don't think there is one avenue that women can go down. And maybe the person who's listening to this podcast is a man, and maybe he is the one who is in the the typical role that maybe the woman, the mother occupies. Mm -hmm. This could pertain to them as well. But when we change, when we transition into motherhood, there is there are so many changes that we first have to recognize and acknowledge, which is, you know, things like the change in the body, um, your roles are being redefined in your relationship. You are redistributing your resources. There is less time for the couple. They have less freedom. They have less sleep. They have less time, less leisure time, less money. Mm -hmm. And with time, that's when you do start to figure out uh, a little bit better idea of what's the division of labor going to be. You really allocate those resources and they shouldn't just be based on the gender of the parent. They should really be based on competency and personality because they're like my husband, for example, is very much a hands-on father and he has really taken a lot of pride in being going against the grain a little bit of this masculine norm that more and more men and dads are transitioning into being a lot more active and taking the time with their kids. You know, I, I'm so thankful for that. I'm so glad that we do have more men who are getting more involved and that men are able to renegotiate some of these roles. Right. But, you know, sex reaffirms the choice in your partner. And so we as we're going through all of these changes, we are also reprioritizing the tasks in the relationship. And one of the things probably at the very bottom of the list that is deprioritized the most is our sexual life. Mm. Because the family and your children require so much attention, so much focus, and so much energy that they become paramount to the the family but the sex life is often considered a leisure activity which it is actually not because today the survival of the family is in direct proportion to the happiness of the couple and mm -hmm. so when we deprioritize sexuality we are undervaluing all of the renewal and the reconnection and the intimacy that sex and physicality brings to the relationship and to the marriage and to the family itself. And a lot of times what happens is all of that physical energy is being given to the child and consumed by the child. And part of that is wired into our DNA. You know, there is that bond between the mother and the child mm -hmm. and the and other parents as well. It could be, you know, uh, uh, two men in a relationship, two women in a relationship. The child has to have that physical bond. It is a requirement for a baby to thrive is having physical touch. Mm -hmm. But we forget about our partner, that our partner also needs physical touch, but they don't just need non-erotic touch. They need erotic touch as well. And usually there's one person in the relationship that communicates more through the language of the body and one person who communicates more through talk and through verbal communication. And we as a culture have prioritized, as women have gained more power and have been able to deconstruct or sort of separate the sexual freedoms from the marital obligations of having sex with their partner, mm -hmm. women have been able to articulate their needs better. And we have, in the last 50 years or so, prioritized this talk communication, this verbal communication. And we have, by doing so, we have actually undervalued the language and the communication style of the other partner in the relationship which is often the man. It, it is not always. We know that now, but it isn't um, a prioritized language. And so for men, it's in this masculine 
code that we teach our children to be of what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. It's not acceptable to show your emotions. Thankfully, we're hearing this all the time now from people who are having this discussion on our podcast now. But the other part of that is that when men are so incapable of expressing themselves through their words, that leaves them with really the only other option, which is through the body, which really is the mother tongue Mm -hmm. of all of Mm -hmm. us. When we're babies, we communicate through the body, sound, scent, all of those things are part of it. And when men have sexuality as their only tool, really, to be able to communicate in a relationship what their needs are and, and all the host of human needs that it brings with it, they are they're sort of disempowered in that way in the relationship because neither one of them often realizes that that is just as equally important as the verbal communication. And it's not to say that the verbal communication isn't important, but the goal should be to get both partners bilingual. I like that. You know, and the the person who is more in, in tuned with knowing that they need sex or some sort of sexual or erotic touch, they are they also usually don't have the ability to explain what is behind that. And what's behind that is usually a sense of wanting to feel desired, wanting to feel needed, wanting to feel longed for, wanting to feel sexy mm-hmm. and appreciated. And they're not getting those things from other people in their world. I mean, think about it. A lot of times men don't have the same kinds of intimate connections that women do because women are so good at communicating their thoughts and their feelings that we don't have to we don't have to go f- to our girlfriends for sex because you know we're we're t- sitting here talking about how I cried last night when I thought about m- when my child is going to graduate from high school mm-hmm. you know and for men they that is their their woman is their one source of fulfilling that itch, that scratch, which is a very human scratch. Mm -hmm. And I think that women, um, I I mean, I I just want to express that very, you know, um, the importance of that because it is still, I still hear things on Instagram about, you know, communicating your feelings and all this stuff. And to some point, I start thinking, okay, give me a break already. Like, what about the other language that we don't talk about enough and all of the underlying needs that are there? Um, so, so I think that that the reconnecting to yourself, to your erotic self when you are when you become a mother, is it it is important for both the mother and the father or whoever is the caretaker, you know, it isn't just the mother, but it is the father as well. He will go through a period of adjustment to being a father. And sometimes he will not be getting that same physical affection and erotic touch that he was used to getting from his partner. So that's an adjustment for him as well. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Okay. So I am a language nerd. So I'm I really love the metaphor of being bilingual and speaking both languages. So I want to talk a little bit more about how people can become more in touch and more fluent in the language of the body. Because you're right, I do see that our society tends to prioritize like verbal communication And being able to talk your feelings out and to have conversations and express what you need, which is very important. Like, don't get me wrong. But we also can't ignore the fact that we are living in a body. And I think, as you mentioned, you know, there are a lot of role shifts that take place, especially after a baby is brought into the house. And for some time, you know, we might have to put our erotic needs on the back burner as we tend to just like the survival mode of being able to keep another human alive and keep yourself alive and, you know, actually go about your day. But how can we, how can we get Mm -hmm. back to our bodies? How can we start to increase our fluency in 
speaking this erotic language? Mm-hmm. That's a good question. I would say that where a person needs to start is connecting back to their senses mm-hmm. and cultivating one by one all of your senses and developing an appreciation of what they each are. Which one do you like more of? Which one does your partner like more of? Which one has the most intensity for mm-hmm. you? Which one feels a little bit more affectionate, non-erotic? Which one feels more erotic? And playing with sensations, it could be however small. This is where eroticism comes into play. When you're in the shower and you're taking a really hot shower, pay attention to the water droplets falling on your body. Where do you like the water to fall? Do you like the water to fall on your neck? Do you like it to fall on your chest? Do you like to do you like the feeling of your legs after you've just shaved them? Do you like your hand feeling your body as you put on your lotion after you get out of the shower? Mm-hmm. Do you like your hair played with? Do you like a sensual massage? Do you like the the way that a certain candle smells? And when you are creating an atmosphere when you're going to when you're actually going to when you finally prepared the mood for your partner where you are going to engage intimately together how have you set the mood by using all of your senses have you done at least one thing that's going to enhance mm. all of your senses and those are things that people overlook but it's about paying attention slowing down and getting out of your head, out of your mind and into your body. And you are bringing a certain mindfulness to the activity or the sensation that you're experiencing in your body. Notice where you feel it. Notice where it takes you in your mind. Does it help you to reminisce about a vacation where you two went together and you remember the smell of the beach and you remember the feel of the sand between your toes, Mm -hmm. all of those things can contribute to getting more fluent in the language of the body and to stop doing things by default. A lot of us have a certain sexual script that we follow every time we have Mm. sex. Break that (sighs) script. Stop doing the same thing over and over again. And for me, this is not about new positions. Mm -hmm. If that's your thing, go for it. That's great. But there is so much more than just what positions you do, how many times you have an orgasm, or even if you have Mm -hmm. an orgasm. Are Are you really paying attention when you look at your partner in their eyes? Are you pausing for a few moments? Are you looking at them when you kiss them? Are you lingering there? Are you letting your lips linger? Are you are you biting their lip? Are you sucking their lip? Are you, right. you know, really be present in the moment and stop thinking about what you're going to do next? And when I took improv classes, that was one of the big takeaways for me was to stop pre-formulating your next line or your next move or what you were going to say next, because if you're doing that, you're anticipating something that's never actually going to happen because you don't know what your partner is going to come with in the very next moment. Right. How are they going to respond to what you just did? They might come with something that you weren't expecting. And if you can really engage moment by moment, then you will exist and reside more in your body and in your senses. And that's a slow way to start to cultivate that ability to connect with the other person. But you need to stop and think about what does sex mean for you? What is the role that it plays in your relationship? Mm -hmm. And are you giving yourself adequate permission to prioritize it more? Because with motherhood, we have puritanical roots in in the United States and in other parts of the world. But the concepts of motherhood that we have really do value a certain sense of almost asexuality mm-hmm. where we prioritize morality 
above pleasure. And especially even if you are in a committed married relationship, and even if you are following that um, religious code that you don't have sex until you get married, but people don't talk about what happens after you made that commitment, which is, well, how do you keep the passion and the sexual interest alive for all of the decades that you plan to be together? Right. And creativity, exploration, and curiosity are the keys to keeping that going and not assuming that you know your partner and not assuming that you know what they want mm -hmm. even. Because within all of us, there are there are erotic secrets within all of us. And sometimes we know them, sometimes we're not even aware of them. But that is a wonderful little mystery and a wonderful little package that you, as the privileged partner who is committed to this other person, gets the opportunity con to continually unravel mm. this person who will forever be somewhat enigmatic to you. And once you think that you've gotten your partner figured out, especially erotically, and that you think, oh, well, I know they're always going to want to do a missionary or they're always going to want to do this or that, you really need to check yourself because have you been asking enough questions lately? And sometimes just through asking the questions, that will trigger, that will cue your partner into something that maybe they had never thought about that they want to explore. Maybe they mm -hmm. want to explore it with you. Um, so does that answer yeah. your question? <laughs> it does. And then now I'm thinking about something that you just brought up in answering that question. There's something paradoxical about American society and the way that they view mothers. And you brought up how even though as a mother, you have conceived a child, most often through sex, there's this expectation that after you have this baby, you are no longer sexual. Mm -hmm. And that's something I see a lot of women grappling with. Do you have any tips for how we can allow those two sides of ourselves to coexist Mm hmm. I think that if we could start thinking about sexuality more in terms of pleasure and, mm -hmm. as Esther Perel says, owning the wanting, then we would be a lot less concerned about this idea of obligatory sex, because I think that's what a lot of mothers are avoiding is this obligatory feeling that you owe your partner something because they haven't had it in a while. And no mm. one finds obligation sexy. It is the antithesis of mm -hmm. sexiness. And unless you're like, that's your sort of, um, sexual role or script that you're playing that night. Like maybe that's a, a particular fantasy of yours where you're, you're playing out the fantasy that, um, <laughs> oh no, I have to do this. But that's a whole other topic that we could mm -hmm. talk about another day. But, but I think that even for women who enjoyed sex prior to having a baby, a lot of times what we find out or what we might realize later, especially after you read Emily Nagoski's book, um, come as you are is that there are there is spontaneous desire and there's responsive desire the spontaneous desire is hmm. where all of a sudden you're just walking along and you think man I'd really like to have sex and the responsive desire is where you actually are you're responding to your partner touching you or making you feel sexy or wanting you or pursuing you or hunting you or chasing you or romancing you. And for a lot of women, it gets masked that they actually have responsive desire during the early stages of when they were in their courtship phase, because the man, I mean, hello, that's our, that's their, that has still been their role, their, their sexual role of being the initiator, the one who's chasing. And I mm -hmm. think we should also break that norm. But 
they're the ones who are pursuing the woman and they're the ones who are initiating a lot of that and the touch and the slowly taking their time to get her warmed up and interested in sex. And it seems at the time, like no one really notices that she's, that that's more of her, her style of, of desire because she seems interested in sex. But then after you have a child, that's when it really becomes apparent and the differences become more stark and mm. you realize what you're actually working with because you've been dried up to the bare bones. And so whoever has the spontaneous mm. desire is really, they almost have a certain, I don't want to say responsibility, but they have a certain role in the relationship to, to prioritize the eroticism in the relationship, but really they have a response, uh, not responsibility, mm -hmm. but their role is going to be more the, the, the person who in the relationship who keeps the, re the marriage or the committed relationship on track, the romance, the intimacy, mm -hmm. the, the pleasure, because a lot of times the other person, and it's not always this way, but the other person is going to be the parent who is taking charge of the family and the kids and doing the the family obligations and things like that. And the other person is usually mm -hmm. the one who main who makes sure that the couple stays on track. And whoever it winds up being, you know, the person who has the more responsive desire really it behooves the marriage and the committed relationship if they can develop a sense of willingness to accept the gestures mm. of the other person who has more of the spontaneous desire or who has um, the a, a more heightened awareness that they need to connect, keep the couple connected intimately. So it mm. means that the person, the, the which is a lot of times the mother, instead of completely negating and shooting him down instead she says well convince me and by that you're actually putting it in a really playful manner to where you're not saying no i don't want to have sex with you which in the way he's hearing that no, is not tonight. yeah and not tonight the way he's hearing that is again like nobody wants to have sex with me, man. Right. Like wh when is this going to end? Like I almost wish sometimes we had never had kids because things were so great before. Mm -hmm. And that is a major source of rejection for him when he's coming to her to be, to feel reconnected and to feel renewed and rejuvenated and to be in touch with his more, maybe more masculine side of himself that makes him feel like he's, um, he can be a little bit ruthless in the best sense of the word. And if if we can shift that perspective and look at it as just being a little bit curious to see where could this take me? If he comes and he initiates, mm -hmm. where could this take me? But the first thing that we need to acknowledge and we all need to get on the same page about is that sex should not be goal-oriented. That is also not sexy. No one wants to be sitting there mm. thinking about how, you know, how soon is this going to be? How soon can I, can I get this out of the way? Or how soon can I do this? Or unless you are literally, unless this is like a, a fun little erotic competition or some sort of game night that you have with your partner, but mm -hmm. you know, which mm -hmm. that could be a fun little game to play. But when it's goal oriented, it makes you feel like you are using some sort of metrics Metrics are not sexy. And there's a lot of pressure put on the person to perform, you know? Yes. So much performance-oriented sex is not sexy. Women don't want to, and, and men too, don't want to feel as though they are an outcome, as though you have a script in your head, you have to get to the end point, A plus B equals C. And when you can take orgasms even off the table, for a while, you can try that. Sometimes maybe you should just take them off for a long period of time, but you can really focus more on pleasure and what feels good. And it doesn't always have to end in an orgasm or someone climaxing because sometimes mm. in the morning you're on your way out to for work and you're in the shower and your partner pops in on you 
and wants to start messing around. And let's say you have a willingness to engage. So you engage, you indulge them, you indulge yourself. And it doesn't result in anything because you only have five minutes or one person is able to finish and the other person is not. But instead of looking at it as though, oh man, that they got to finish and I didn't, maybe just look at it as that was that was a pregame for what's going to come next tonight. And that was just a, you know, a teaser for what's, what's left and what else is coming. I think what it comes down to a lot of what you're saying is mindset and being able to take on a more optimistic and positive mindset about sexuality, about eroticism and not seeing it as, like you said, so goal-oriented and so performance-based. And I'm curious too, because I sense that there is a lot of discomfort when it comes to women indulging in pleasure. So can you walk us through how a woman could shift her mindset and, and start to embrace pleasure and start to incorporate that into her, her life? Mm-hmm. That's a great, great question. Well, first of all, ladies, you deserve it. You are worth it. And I will say you worked your ass off to create a baby and to birth that baby, however you did it, and you deserve some pleasure in any way that you can get it, whether that be through a massage or some personal time or by sleeping in or getting your nails done or having a ladies night where you go out and you go Mm -hmm. dancing or having all of the erotic attention be on you for a night. You deserve that. You are a beautiful, wonderful human being who is equipped biologically with all of the parts to have a wonderful, mind-blowing orgasm. And if the word orgasm scares you, just, you know, think of it as pleasure. It's, that's, that's really what it is. It is pleasure in all different degrees, in different variations, different combinations. And you you have to give yourself permission to do that that your soul identity is not around being a mother only you are a mother mm-hmm. and you can take as much pride in that as you want and you should because you are a magnificent human being for having created another life but it also means that you are completely entitled to feel the full capacity of your body. You were given all of those Mm -hmm. organs and all of those parts. And part of that, which is just two inches north, (laughs) is Mm -hmm. an amazing part of your body that is purely designed for pleasure. There is no other purpose, biologically or any other way speaking, to have a clitoris. There are... Mm -hmm. 8,000 nerve endings in your clitoris, and there are about 15,000 nerve endings in your entire pelvic region. So you have pleasure sensations, not just in your clitoris, but on your labia, on your butt, on your thighs, Uh, you know, all of that, that entire area is a, a fully charged pleasure zone for you. And if you find pleasure in other ways, Go for it. Do what makes you feel good and explore with yourself. Maybe if you feel a little bit more comfortable doing it with yourself first so that you can sort of erotically map out your body, that's a great Mm -hmm. way to do it. Just spend an, an hour or two by yourself you know, your partner doesn't need to know what you're doing unless you want to share that with them because you think Mm -hmm. it would be erotic, but they don't need to know what it is that you're doing, but spend a little time with yourself because, you know, your, your partner can't know what you want until you do to some extent. I mean, you can certainly find things together, but, um, your body 
was created for that purpose as well. Not not only for creating a human life, but for experiencing the full capacity of what it means to be a human being with all of the mm. por- parts and organs and pleasure centers that were given. So I think that the proof is in our biology that mm. our clitoris was made purely, it has nothing to do with reproduction. It is purely for for pleasure. And just start small, S- start with something, uh, baby step, baby step it until you start to discover yourself and you start to feel a little bit more okay about that. And maybe it, maybe masturbation is too uncomfortable, but maybe it could be with starting with water in the shower. And maybe Mm -hmm. you like having a hot bubble bath and maybe you just like where the water lands and it feels good to you. And, you know, there are, there are, there are an infinite amount of different ways that, that women experience pleasure in their genitals, but it's, it's not just about your genitals. It's about embracing that you are alive and it Mm -hmm. is, it comes with a certain amount of gratitude for the body Mm -hmm. that you were given and that the best way to thank your body and to thank God or the universe or or whatever, if you believe in a deity, uh, the best way to give thanks to that is to use what you have and to rejoice in that, in all of its full beauty. Mm, That is so powerful, Devin. Thank you for sharing that. That I think it's really going to resonate with a lot of people and I hope that they can find small ways, like you said, just baby step it and, and find ways to embrace your biology, as you were saying, because there's nothing wrong with pleasure. I think there's been a lot of teachings and moral codes and things like that that have been constructed throughout our society that tend to steer women away from seeking pleasure. But that's Mm got to come to an end. I mean, it's such an integral part of being a human, of being a woman, of being a mother, and it's not helping anybody to deny that. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, surround yourself with, if you can, if you can, and I know it's tough these days sometimes to find other women, they could be other mothers or not, but other mm-hmm. women who are who are maybe a little bit further along in their journey than you are, so mm-hmm. that you can listen to their wisdom of where they've been and where they're going. And you can take so much inspiration from hearing another woman's journey and what she's been through. And she will give you, and they, hopefully if you have more than one, they will give you that permission and acceptability that we need as women who are trying to navigate this whole sexual terrain in a culture and a society that still sex shames. And you know, it's usually either an abundance or sex of sex or a lack of or 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 these these sort of puritanical values. And it's hard to find a middle ground where mm-hmm. you can find out for yourself how much of this do I want in my life? How much, how much do I want to make my life about um sexuality, eroticism, pleasure? And we all get to define our own ways of doing that. And just because you hear a friend or a girlfriend who's doing it one way does not mean that you have to do it that way. So if you find a group of gals who can talk about this stuff, then don't feel pressured to replicate what they're doing because their formula is not going to be the formula that works for you. You can take inspiration from their journey, Mm. but do it in a way that feels good to you. And you'll know that you're in alignment with that, with that and your values when you're in a good vibrational setting and in when you're in a good mindset. And that's when you'll know you're onto something. Okay, I'm onto something. I'm going to do more of this. Do more right. of the things that light you up and that bring you joy because those, those moments of joy are really little bursts of energy that mm-hmm. are going to propel you in the rest of your life. 
in your family life, in your relationship, in your career, whether you have creative pursuits or you you are at a job where it's maybe more task oriented, but you're making money for the family or whatever your endeavors are in your life, every mo- moment of joy that you have is like adding a little bit of emotional money into your piggy bank hmm. that you can use to propel you forward into the rest of your life outside of the sexual world and your sex life far beyond that mm-hmm. and um talking with other women about sex there was one there was one study that i i saw on a ted talk where the speaker was talking about how she did a study where she had surveyed these women who regularly met with each other to talk about their sex lives and they no. had more orgasms more sexual satisfaction, better communication with their partner. And I think it was something like a 25% increase in the amount of orgasms they were having. And not that the amount of orgasms should be the measure because it shouldn't. It should be about the quality of the experience that you're having. Forget the metrics, but if that is something that you're looking to achieve and you want more orgasms because maybe you feel that there's an imbalance and that bothers you in your relationship, Mm -hmm. then try that. Try picking one girlfriend that you can think of and you guys just meet every week or so and talk about what's been going on in your sex life. And, you know, you might need to get permission from your partner that they're okay with you sharing some of that detail, or maybe you talk about what, what are the the boundaries for what you can and can't say, but of course though, that is a great bonding experience for you and for your girlfriends. And it also helps you to feel like you're not such a freak and you're not alone Mm -hmm. in a culture that doesn't often, almost never gives mothers permissions to be sexual beings. Mm-hmm. Mm, that's such great advice. My favorite show of all time is Sex in the City. And so I can, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes, I can uh, just imagine the four women sitting down and, you know, all of the experiences that they had, but being able to share what you're going through with someone else, you know, provided that this is a person that you trust and you feel comfortable being honest with, it's like nothing else. And like you said, it it really helps to put things into perspective, especially if you are speaking with someone who's in a different stage of life than you, because there there is a sense of wisdom and a sense of um, clarity that they can bring to your situation because they've experience their own version, perhaps, of what you're going through. And just that solidarity, you know, I think that's something that I wanted to set out to provide with this podcast is being able to bring together people of all ages and stages to be able to discuss things that matter like this. So I really appreciate you bringing that tip into the conversation. And one, yes, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I really applaud your effort in trying to connect women and it doesn't have to just be women, but I, you know, this is a specific topic that primarily women do struggle with. So I think it's excellent what you're doing. Okay. So one last question before we kind of bring things together, let's say you are coaching someone who is about to enter in to a relationship and they want it to be committed and they, they foresee, you know, spending a really long time with this person, perhaps settling down and having kids, but perhaps not. The basis being that they're, they want to be in committed relationship. What is a tip that you would give this person as, as they're about to embark into this journey of connecting with someone else and also trying to find themselves to, to bring into that relationship for, the best opportunity for having it to work out? Yes. Such a great and magical question. (laughs) (laughs) I, oh my goodness, there's so many ways that I could answer this. And probably if we did 10 different podcasts, I would answer it 10 different ways. (laughs) But I would say that first of all, part of it is the education of it. So Mm. Every relationship is going to teach you something and every person is going to have something to offer you. And with every partner, you will have something to offer them. And if you can understand that to have a life partner 
nowadays in the West means that this person is going to help you in your personal development to a huge extent and your spiritual development that this is a journey and pick a partner that will facilitate and encourage and enrich your personal journey. Mm. And you can't always know if they will be that person for you. And so understand that there is probably going to be a period of experimentation Mm. with finding out that sometimes on paper, you might look really great with someone, but when you connect with them in person and you have that real life interaction with them, there is a chemistry between you two that will not always make sense. Mm. Sometimes that connection is going to serve a different purpose than maybe what you originally planned, but I think we all have certain values that we live by, and sometimes it's helpful to think about what are the values that you live by, your core set of values Mm -hmm. that sometimes you think you prioritize a certain value above another one until you actually sit there and you do an inventory and you look at the way that you behave because our behavior is always a bigger indicator than what we say verbally. So So look at your values and see if that person is someone that is going to allow you to get to a particular, well, multiple destinations along your life journey. Mm -hmm. And are they going to help you get where you want to go? And are they flexible enough to be able to adapt to the changes that will inevitably happen over time to you personally and to the relationship and to the family? Mm -hmm. And, you know, be ready for some surprises and also be ready to, if, if you're willing to put in the effort and the work to transform your marriage when it needs to be, or your committed relationship, even if you're not married, transform it and reinvent on location instead of, you know, everybody gets to walk their own journey. And I'm not saying that staying married or staying in a committed relationship is the end all be all because it is not. Mm -hmm. And everyone has different things that they want to do with their life. But Understand that it is it is healthy to have a separate life from your partners. You should have certain things that you share, certain things that you bond over, but recognize that there are all different kinds of relationship styles out there. You don't have to pick the one that is by default, mm-hmm. which I think we all know which one we're talking about, the very traditional conservative type of monogamous relationship, uh, for example, Mm -hmm. and where desire doesn't go elsewhere. I mean, be, be a little bit more realistic about your, about what, what you want in life and about your expectations and try to talk about stuff up front as much as you can, especially about your monogamy agreement. That is a big, big one. And with the monogamy agreement, you should also be talking about your, about the role of sex and sexuality in your relationship because so many marriages and relationships end because of sexual incompatibility. Mm. So if you can talk about that stuff and address it up front, then you can decide then, is this something that we want to pursue? Are there ways that we can get creative and sort of work around this thing? Because maybe there are other things that we also want to prioritize. But you you have to look at your relationship as an ongoing agreement that either you or your partner can opt out of at any point in time. So you should always be willing and ready to renegotiate the terms along the way. It should be a book that you're continually writing, you're going back to, you're editing, you're taking pieces out, you're adding addendums, and you're writing it together. You're writing your life story together, and you are sharing this vision for for your future. I really like that. Thank you so much, Devin. Where can people stay in touch with you? 
Um, so you can go to my website, devinevans.com, and you can listen to my podcast. And I will let you know now that I do some erotic episodes. I ha- I write erotica because I think that that, for me, that's personally a, an outlet of that creative vitality that I needed a source to, to put that into. Yeah. And I also think that it's a fun way to share with other couples who have told me they and their partner can listen to that stuff together and they get sort of a little thrill out of it. And uh, and maybe that's a way for them to enhance a different part of their brain than just looking at regular visual pornography. You can go to devinevans.com. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I did want to say just a couple of things before we yeah, close please. is that, you know, when 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 parents, mothers specifically, are going through this transition of the really burdensome tedious parts of motherhood, this transition into motherhood Mm -hmm. during the first three years to, it goes back to mindset. And this is why I named my podcast Myths Mating and Mindset, but it goes back to what you pointed out that mindset is a critical word here that if we can shift the mindset from, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? Does he does he want to have sex again? Are you serious? Like I'm, I just nursed my baby. I'm about to get some sleep. Um, I only have two hours before they wake up and they need, need another feeding. You know, I mean, we, we've we been there, whether it be bottle feeding or whatever, yeah. you know, and your partner comes to you and wants to engage with you intimately. And maybe she can look at it as though he is coming to offer her something. He's looking at that as a way for her to take a break, a little sexual interlude from taking care of this baby and being mother mm. that instead of being mother for just a, a, a short period of time, she gets to be woman again. Mm. And that's really where a lot of our sexual energy comes from is feeling in touch with our womanness, not our motherness. Mm-hmm. And motherness serves a different role, a different purpose, but we don't want to conflate sexuality with motherhood because we don't want to have sex within the family. So there is a reason why those are distinct domains. But when he comes to her and he offers her that, maybe look at that as he is coming to offer you pleasure on a platter. Mm. And maybe you can just sit there, lie back, relax, and receive the pleasure, receive the break, receive the moment of relaxation and enjoyment that he's coming to offer you. And to instead of looking at it as a chore or an obligation, that's what he's coming to do for you is to say and to remind you that you're that you are also a woman in addition to being a new mother. So I think that it all has to do with the way that we shift how we look at something. It's all about the perspective. And can you get creative about how you change your mindset to look at things and to look at your situation, to look at yourself, to look at your partner differently, your current situation, whatever it might be. And you know, another tip also for getting out of that box when you feel as though things have gotten a little bit stagnant and you don't know how to move forward into finding that erotic connection with Mm -hmm. your partner. Maybe it's been a while. Maybe you just aren't feeling it for them, that you don't have any desire or longing for them. So what you can do is you can, one person, maybe it's the man, if he is the one that has more of the spontaneous desire, he writes her a note or a text or an email or a letter or something. It's I think it's better. It's more romantic if it's a handwritten letter. He writes a letter that says, um, meet me at this restaurant at eight o'clock tonight. And then they take separate cars. She dresses, she, she, she gets to be the, the woman again, but she also, I would encourage her to do something that's a little bit atypical for Mm. her, like wear a different outfit that she wouldn't normally wear or wear a different color of lipstick, maybe wear bright red that's really provocative and that's really sexy or wear some extra eyeliner that makes your eyes pop out or wear that push-up bra or wear those pair of heels that instead of wearing your comfy flats and do something that's a little bit atypical because when you want behavior to change, you have to do something that's different, that's outside of the norm of what you're used to doing. So you have to push yourself, but make it fun, make it playful. 
and surprise him if it's if if this is the 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 roles that we're talking about if we're talking about the woman that's that's trying to get interested mm-hmm. in this stuff but meet separately when you're going to the restaurant because a lot of times you know we might be all fancy and done up for our partner but then when we walk out of the bathroom or the bedroom that's when they're seeing us. And then you have to drive to the, you know, you have to pay the babysitter and then you get in the car and you're talking about, oh, when do we need to be home? Do you have cash to pay the valet? And, you, right. you know, so instead cut out all of the the nonsense of being in the family domain and be more in that playful role. Like when you were dating and that element of surprise, he doesn't know what you're going to wear. And when you show up, he's going to be like, oh my gosh, that's my Ooh, wife. I really like that. Damn, she's hot. You know, and sometimes he might take a double take before he realizes, oh, that's that's my woman. I get to go out with her tonight, you know. So it's it's just a fun way of doing something a little bit different and not just doing, oh, plan a date night, plan a date night. Date nights are great, but do something a little bit atypical out of the box. And it doesn't just have to pertain to the woman too. tell your man. You know, put on something sexy. Let me see your pecs. Let me see your arm muscles. Let me see what you've been doing at the gym. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> you know. So, um, so yeah, I, I just think it's it's all about the mindset. Oh, I'm so glad you shared that. That is a tip that I want to put into practice immediately. So, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> yeah, this was so much fun. And that's it for this episode of Young Honest Mother, the podcast, which means it's time for you to join the conversation. Share your thoughts on social media and tag me at Young Honest Mother, and then pass this episode along to friends and family who need to know that they're not alone on this journey either. Until next time, I'm your host, Maurice Young.